0: Coming up, the NBA Finals are set as the Boston Celtics had to do it the hard way and outlast a surging Miami Heat team to punch their ticket to San Francisco. There's a Game 7 in Carolina as the final game of the second round will have either the Hurricanes or Rangers playing the defending Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning, plus a preview of what could be an epic Western Conference final between Edmonton and Colorado. Giants manager Gabe Kapler refuses to stand for the national anthem, and baseball is at the first definitive juncture of their season as i review who are the contenders and pretenders, almost 50 games in. It's setting up to be an epic few days in Paris as the second week of the French Open begins, with a quarterfinal date between Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal set for tomorrow. So much to unpack over the next hour. I'm glad you stopped by to take it all in. But first, this message What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe rate and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast. So please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So, with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in five, four, three, two, one. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast paced, jam packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, directed, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Worlds Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. And on this day, as we remember the soldiers who have fought for our freedom, who are no longer here on this Memorial Day Monday. As we usher in the unofficial beginning of summer, I present to you the latest edition of everything that's going on in the wonderful world of sports as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me, going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. So much to get into Obviously, we know what the big topic is going to be, and you know, I'm going to get to that in a moment, but we have a baseball season, which is at its really first overall 30,000 foot view look when we separate the contenders from the pretenders, and we all know that there's still another, what, 110, 112, 114 baseball games to be played. But we'll take a look at that landscape later on, including Gabe Kapler as the is not going to stand for the National Anthem. I know a lot of people, that's going to be a big divide here, but I'll put in my two cents later on. Indianapolis 500 yesterday, which I talked about a little bit on Thursday, not that I'm well-versed in that in the least, and I pretty much could probably get it over with right now. No offense to the racing fan that's out there, but the biggest to me, I understand the Daytona 500, but the Indianapolis 500, which as a boy was the one event that you looked at almost as the beginning of summer, as big as it was in the 70s and 80s. But your winner was a gentleman from Sweden by the name of Marcus Ericsson. He is your 2022 Indianapolis 500 champion. So I guess I could pretty much put that one aside. But whether it's that, the Stanley Cup playoffs where we have a game seven tonight, which we'll zero in on later between the Rangers and Carolina Hurricanes. And what will be, I would think, A fascinating Western Conference final between Edmonton and Colorado. We have all that to get into plus my hero and zero of the week. When I think back on this NBA season, especially if you're a Boston Celtic fan. I know a lot of people will look at that game against the Portland Trailblazers in a game where they had a lead and they blew it to the point where they were one game under 500 at 23 and 24 But I'll even rewind a few weeks prior to that because there was a game in a home-and-home between the Celtics and Knicks to where the Celtics had a 24-point lead in the first half. Of course, it dwindled, came down to pretty much the final play of the game where R.J. Barrett heaved a three-point shot which went off the glass and in to a 108-105 victory at that point in the season the Celtics were 18-21 and 21. I believe they were 10th in the Eastern Conference and remember you have to think about those seeds from 7-10 to 10 when it comes to the playing tournament as the Celtic fans remember from last year but at that point I'm sure the furthest thing from a Celtic fan including yours truly was the Celtics not only just making it into the tournament but having a long playoff run and granted that On January 6th, where the last thing people were thinking about, let alone the NBA, but the Celtics making the postseason, and here we are on the morning of May the 30th, almost five months later, and one of the things as a sports fan, especially a diehard fan, who roots for their team day after day, whether you think that they're... Not going to have a great season, whether you think that they may have a shot to make some noise in the playoffs, or even with the Celtic team being a two seed, having to play the Brooklyn Nets, follow that up by the Milwaukee Bucks, and then obviously the Miami Heat. Where as you wake up this morning, and you think to yourself, how in the hell did we get here from that day on January the 6th to the last Monday of May? I know it wasn't pretty. I know it was borderline ugly. And boy, those last three minutes and 35 seconds in game seven last night in Miami, it truly tested your blood pressure and obviously your heart. Because if that was a game that the Celtics would have lost, considering what they have done since that Knick game, and mind you, we could look at the regular season as nobody cares right now. Because all that mattered was what took place not only on Friday night as the Celtics could have gone ahead and won that series at home, which they didn't, and I'll get to that in a minute. And then last night, as those seconds closely got to zero, but as that lead started to dwindle to its precious few points, at 98-96, and somehow, some way, the basketball gods found a way for Jimmy Butler to not make a three-point shot. And therefore, after two Marcus Smart free throws and a couple of attempts at three-pointers by Max Screws. Al Horford, the one guy who has played the most playoff games in the history of the sport was able to catch the rebound on the Stru miss with about two seconds to go and threw it up into the FTX arena air and before it came down the buzzer went off and the Boston Celtics were Eastern Conference champions, which leads to this point and I get it that the job is far from done. But it's magic carpet rides like this. And if you've listened to me going back to the beginning, you know how much I've talked about the magic carpet ride. Meaning that the team, although the Celtics did have a high seed in the Eastern Conference, but nobody in their right frame of mind expected this journey, this postseason to go the way it has. To be down 3-2 to the defending champ winning two games, including a game six In Milwaukee where Jason Tatum had to score 46 points. Obviously, we go back to the first round against Brooklyn. We all know that they were a mess throughout the course of the year. I never expected a sweep. But we have to look at that Easter Sunday game where they were down late. And Jason Tatum lays it up off the backboard as the clock expired. And the Celtics win game one and didn't look back from that point on in that series. And then we have this seven game series which was grueling which was the ultimate gut check and then left in the hands of the final few moments of this game literally hung on for their dear lives and this magic carpet ride is now taking us all on a trip to the Bay Area and never would I have thought in a million years that the Celtics would be at this point in fact I almost pretty much tuned out their season especially after that Knick game because the Knicks they were floundering at that time The Celtics were still trying to look for their identity, and even though with their two top stars, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they were underachieving unlike any other. And not to say that this Celtic team coming into the season were going to be world beaters or were going to be near the top of the Eastern Conference, because a lot of people thought at that time it was either going to be Philadelphia, it was going to be Milwaukee, obviously Brooklyn, you want to throw in maybe Miami to a certain extent. You could, but nobody thought in their right frame of mind that the Celtics were going to be one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference, especially at the start of this postseason. And here they are. There's still work to be done, like I mentioned, and I'll get to that in a minute, but to rewind, especially Game 6 and Game 7, it almost has felt as if Jimmy Butler was going to take this series by the horns and carry his team all the way to the end of game seven to the point where he would have been a conquering hero in Miami and would have put the Celtics and their fans into a long hot summer wondering what happened. But when Butler and his heroic performance of 47 points, nine rebounds, eight assists, the back and forth there in that fourth quarter to the tune where Derek White had the game of his life, hit that big three with about four minutes to go At 97-94, only for Kyle Lowry, who had a very good game six and also a very good game seven for him, considering his hamstring and what he was unable to do for most of this postseason. But for him to gut it out and for him to contribute in these final two games, you got to give it up to him. The wily vet who knows how to win, who obviously was on that Toronto Raptor team in 2019 that won a NBA championship. Not to say that you knew he was going to be heard from, but were you surprised by his contribution in these final two games? Absolutely not. But going back to Friday night, to me it boiled down to that 99-99 tide where Jalen Brown was at the free throw line and he missed both free throws only for Jimmy Butler to come back up the court and go mano y mano against Al Horford, that's a theme, to where he went strong to the basket, went up high, got fouled, off the glass, and won, hits the free throw 102.99, and right there you thought that the Celtics were gonna have to pack their bags and go back to South Beach to play in a game seven. And then the game was salted away with that miraculous, pretty much back to the basket over there in the right wing, with whatever it was, 2.3 seconds left on the shot clock as he hit the turnaround jumper And pretty much put the dagger right through that game to where he carried his team on his back and was able to bring this series to a seventh game to where last night, and I will say before the game and throughout the weekend, I thought that the Celtics were going to win. I sent a text to my cousin, who is the biggest Celtic fan I know, JD, my old radio partner. And I told him as putrid as that final quarter was, as bad as Marcus Smart was in the game, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown only had four shot attempts in that fourth quarter where Marcus Smart pretty much had to, not going to say take over the game, but was pretty much resorted to taking a lot of the shots because of what the defense was throwing at both Tatum and Brown at that juncture of the game. And just knowing that as bad as that conclusion was, not being able to do it on their home court, I said, we're going to win this series. Something just told me, forget about the stats, we all know the Celtics after a loss, they were 5-0 heading into the game last night, but to me, it was one of those things where uh uh-uh, the season's not going to end that way. It's not going to end the way it did for Milwaukee when they lost a game six at home and then had to go to Boston and where they were able to bow out in that seventh game on that Sunday afternoon a couple weeks ago. So now last night, again, the Celtics get out of the gate quickly. The Heat were unable to score a field goal until about three plus minutes into the first quarter, into the game itself. And the Celtics were pretty much playing from in front. In fact, not pretty much. They were definitely playing from in front throughout the whole game. They led wire to wire. But as you look at the final score, obviously it didn't indicate that. But they had a bunch of stretches where they had big leads. They had a 17-point lead there in the first half. And as we get to conclude the end of the first half where the Celtics, again, had a sizable lead. 53-38 and then the next thing you know you you blink your eyes and the Celtics are only up by 6 heading into the break. Now we get into the second half I know a little bit of controversy with the Max Drews 3 where he hit it there in the corner I believe what was it 58-54 and then minutes later they took it off the board because he had stepped out of bounds. I'm sure that's something that the league's going to look at not only throughout the summer but maybe there'll be a rule implemented I don't know but Not to say that that was the key point of the game. I understand that it was a run that maybe the Heat were going to go on to where the Celtics then got on one of their runs at that point where they stretched the lead back to 14 at 72-58. And then the Heat started to chip away at that point to the tune as we get into the fourth quarter. 82-79 where Ime had to call a timeout. The coach, of course, Ime Odoka, where they cut the lead to three. And then the Celtics went on an 8-0 run to where they extended the lead. It was pretty much a heavyweight fight, not only just in this game and in this fourth quarter, but throughout this whole seven-game series. And then as we get into the fourth quarter, Jason Tatum makes up three. He makes a shot from the elbow. The Celtics look like they're going to be in control. They look like they're actually not going to run away with it, but you figured they would stabilize the game. And now we get to the point where it's 98-85. Marcus Smart makes two free throws, 3.35 to go in the game, and then this is where the Heat start to chip away and go on their 11-0 run. It started off with the Kyle Lowry shot right there near the free throw line, followed that up by a Max Drews put-back dunk, and then the Celtics were unable to get any baskets at that point. It almost felt as if they were starting to play a little bit of hero ball as Marcus Smart then attempts to make a three. Although, Horford did get the rebound, but then Marcus, another good look that he had, was able to miss that. And then, they just start to chip away. Oladipo makes a layup. Kyle Lowry also lays it up to cut it to 98-93. And then after a Celtic timeout, Jalen Brown, who had the ball there late. The only time he had the ball pretty much to make a shot, he drives to the basket. He elbows Bam bio. offensive foul. Now you have Max Drews coming off a screen where he drains a three. It's 98 96. And now you're thinking to yourself, there's no way that the Celtics could blow this lead, can they? That's the first thing that came to my mind after you made that shot. Then you had Marcus Smart missing a layup. Then this is where we get to the point where all of Boston and the New England area, as well as yours truly, my cousin JD my brother Justin who was not too far from the arena and i don't even know if he made it into the arena last night but that's when Jimmy Butler then gets the ball he dribbles up the court it's pretty much one on one he and Al Horford and the first thing i thought was he's not going to pull up for three is he i figured he would go attack the basket just like he did at the end of game 6 see if he could draw a foul, an and end one, or even if he were to draw a foul to get two free throws, where, as we all know, Jimmy Butler is a very good free throw shooter. Instead, he pulls up right before the three-point line. He takes the three, and the first thing I thought of when he pulled up, knowing that he was going to take that shot, and I swear to you, I said he's playing hero ball, and because of that, he's going to miss. Granted, it was a split second for me to think that, but sure enough, it hits the front rim, Jalen Brown deflects it to Al Horford. Horford goes to Marcus Smart. He gets fouled. Smart makes two free throws, 196. And then Struz attempts the first three. Loose ball foul on Horford. And then another inbounds pass to where Struz takes another three. Misses. Horford gets the ball. And as I mentioned earlier, chucks it up into the air. And the Celtics are your Eastern Conference champions. I will say this. If Butler would have hit that shot the Heat would have won the game. 99-98, the roof would have come off the building. The Celtics, you know that they would have tried to get the ball to Jason Tatum, but as you saw in those final few minutes, Tatum was nowhere near the ball because of the defense that the Heat was able to employ at that time. And this would have been probably the worst loss, even the 2010 game seven. And I understand that was in an NBA final for a championship, but this would have been tough to stomach. And I get it that it's moot now. There's nothing to even discuss. But as a fan who has been on this magic carpet ride, not only since that game back in January, but obviously throughout the whole postseason, that there was no way the season could have ended this way. And thankfully it didn't. And for the Celtics to be able to prevail, to show that heart, to show that toughness, that team on the other side is a mirror image of the Celtic team, minus a couple of players. Because as I said in the last couple of podcasts, the heat... They need a number two guy. They do not have that. Bam Adebayo is a very good player. Complimentary. He had a very good game last night with 25 and 13. But they need another scorer. They need another threat. They need another wing guy. Because if Bam is going to be your five. And you have Jimmy Butler as your two. Then you have somebody as a three. As a wing. That could really take this team. To not only an NBA final. But to win the whole thing. With that being said. The bubble revenge going back to 2020 where they were unable to beat the Heat then and now this revenge tour overall, when you think about it, whether it was beating the Brooklyn Nets in round one to a sweep the first time Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were ever swept in a series, that goes back to last year when the Nets beat the Celtics in five, the Bucks in 2019, if you remember that game one, they dominated and then from that point on, the Bucks won four straight. That was Kyrie's last few games in last series as a member of the Celtics. And then obviously the bubble revenge, which was completed last night. And now it's on to an NBA final. And give it up for Jason Tatum. who had some big shots there in that fourth quarter early on. But still, Jalen Brown also was able to gut it out, although he didn't end up strong. Marcus Smart hitting those big free throws despite all those misses there at the end. And played much better in Game 7 than he did in Game 6. Horford didn't add much in the point box score. But when it comes to rebounds and defensive intensity, etc. You know he's always going to bring the pain. And even Grant Williams had a contribution after his future Game 5. What more can you say? This was just a total team effort. Three road wins in Miami. Seven road wins in total. And now they get to rest for a couple of days, which I know they are just salivating at the fact because they do not have to play a game, come tomorrow night, and have to rev up the engines after playing night after night after night, or every other night, I should say. Going back, think about this, people. Going back to the Monday before the Celtics won their series against the Milwaukee Bucks. And really, when you think about it, because they had played games one and two, they played that Sunday, I believe it was Mother's Day, where they lost to the Bucs. And then they played, obviously, that Tuesday night. They had the three days off Saturday. Saturday afternoon they played, they lost, and then they won Monday night. And pretty much since then, they played every other night. So now they get to rest here until Thursday night. I'll preview the series then. A remarkable achievement, but the job isn't done. This can't be, oh, we're happy to be here. This can't be one of those type of moments where they could just say, whew, we could exhale. Now onto the finals against a team that has tremendous balance. You have your savvy veterans. We all know who they are. Splash Brothers and Draymond Green with the young and up-and-coming stars, whether you're Jordan Poole, Jonathan Kaminga, You want to throw in a Moses Moody, not to say he's going to be a star player, but again, they have that very good mix of youth and veteran leadership. And now the Celtics, who pretty much their own veteran leadership when you think about it is Al Horford, but Marcus Smart's been there eight years and is the elder statesman of the team. We know about the young guys, the two young studs, and it's going to make for a remarkable series, which I know ABC They were popping off the champagne around 11.30 last night knowing that you're going to have the Celtics and what they represent as one of the cornerstone franchises of the league and the Golden State Warriors who are making their sixth NBA final in the last eight years. And hopefully the ratings will be great for it and it'll be a long hard-fought series that obviously one of the two teams are going to end up being the last team standing. Miami played their hearts out they were tremendous and valiant in defeat, as Eric Spolstra had said in the postgame. Same for Jimmy Butler, all the guys that had mentioned great things about the Celtics. And they were warriors. Without question, no pun intended, considering who the Celtics are going to play here in the finals. But I know maybe it was a little premature for the Udonis Haslams of the world to shout out Charles Barkley, or excuse me, not Charles Barkley, jamon Green, the aforementioned to where... He felt in the post game after they beat the Dallas Mavericks, how they were going to face the Celtics in the finals, and they were pretty much pointing at him saying, aha, yeah, who's going to the finals now, or whatever Udonis Haslam had said. Now, it was a little premature because they still had a game seven to play, but you got to give it up for what they did. They're going to be a tough out, especially if they get that other scorer, that fide wing who could really either fill the lane or... Could fill the bucket from beyond three. I know Tyler Hero was out, which was a big loss for them, and he tried to give it a go last night, but was unable to really give him any type of length. And the Heat culture, the work ethic, the conditioning, etc., came that close, and I'm sure they're going to be heard from again come next year. Uh, but quickly with Dallas and Golden State, another whole hum victory in the conference finals. I mean, what could you say? The postseason has pretty much been defined by these two game sevens between Celtics Bucks, which wasn't great toward the end. And then last night's game, which you could probably arguably say was the best game of the entire postseason. Maybe game six, Milwaukee and Boston. That could be up there. But for Golden State to win pretty much in easy fashion. I know Dallas tried to make it close. They ended the third quarter on a 15-2 run. They cut it to 10. And at one point, I believe, cut it to 9. But was there ever a doubt that you thought Golden State was going to lose this game? Not at all. I didn't think they were in any danger. Klay Thompson, 32 points, 8 for 16 from 3. Was emotional in the post game on the court with the interviews, especially his journey from the ACL injury three years ago in the NBA Finals against Toronto in that Game 6. Of course, the Achilles injury leading up to that season after. And then now here he is back on the big stage in an NBA final. So the Golden State Warriors who are very familiar with this territory. And again, come Thursday on that podcast, I will preview from Soup to Nuts everything about this series, the schedule, etc. You know I got you. But for the Mavericks, speaking of Miami needing that one more piece. Dallas definitely needs a sidekick for Luka Doncic. He did not have a good game. He shot terrible in that first half. Yes, I understand he tried to get his team back in the game and try to do whatever it takes to inch closer to try to steal a victory out in the chase center, but was unable to do so. And then obviously when you look at this team as a whole, Kristaps Porzingis wasn't the answer as he was shipped in the middle of the season to Washington. He needs to get that sidekick there. And it's just going to matter who's going to want to go to Dallas knowing that you have the star player, the guy who's going to be pretty much first team All-NBA for the next decade and wanting to play not only in that market, which is big, but who is going to be that guy whether they obtain via trade in the offseason and off the top of my head I couldn't even tell you which free agent is available. But Dallas is also close even with the Big game seven that they had over Phoenix. Knowing that they had their own magic carpet ride. Although it was swiped out from under them. In that game five. Out of Golden State. But they're a team that may not be as close as Miami. But they have that one big piece to fill. And if they could get to do that. In this offseason. Then maybe Dallas could be that team. To take the next step. And go to an NBA final. Even though you would think the West is going to be loaded next year. With Kawhi back in full swing with Paul George. LeBron, and even though they're going to run it back pretty much with the same squad, because I'd be shocked if Russell Westbrook gets traded with that contract that he has next year. But with a new coach in tow and a one Darvin Ham, the former Milwaukee Buck assistant, which I thought was a very good hire, he's a guy that's got a lot of respect throughout the course of the league. And for him to finally get his first head coaching job, albeit it's going to be challenging. But let's see what he's going to do with what the Lakers are going to. And I'm sure they are chomping at the bit knowing that the Celtics are four wins away from getting their 18th banner, which would one-up the Lakers as they're both deadlocked at 17. So if by any stretch, any chance, that the Celtics are the ones victorious in this upcoming best-of-seven NBA final, you know the Lakers are going to be in the lab trying to figure out what it is that they're going to do with their roster to try to get themselves back in prime position to win their own banner 18 for next season. And as we get set to Begin the quest to crown a champion in the NBA. The NHL still has another round to go. Although we have one part of the Western Conference final set between Edmonton and Colorado. And I'll get to that in a moment. Tampa, we know a week ago today, they already have their feet up as they swept the Florida Panthers, as I mentioned then, and I'll say it one more time, out into the panhandle. So they could kind of coast their way down the west part of the state all the way around back to the eastern part. And now that I think about it, Sunrise is as far west as you could possibly get in Broward County. So maybe they will just have to slither their way through the Everglades back to Sunrise as they are long gone in this postseason. But we do have a game seven tonight in Carolina between the Rangers and Hurricanes. And what more can I tell you? As this being a home my series, are you surprised? Absolutely not. The Carolina Panthers have been perfect at home and also perfect on the road but more or less imperfect because they have not won a game. And even with them outshooting the Rangers in both of these contests in games 5 and 6, doubling their output 34-17 to 17 in a game 5 win to where they were able to put 39 shots on Igor Shesterkin there on Saturday night, but they were only able to get two goals. In fact, the Rangers came out of the gate two goals in the first, then two goals by Philip Hedel in the second period. To where they had a 4-1 lead. And they cruised to a 5-2 victory. Which sets the stage. For as we've talked about quite a bit. The only game 7. In the second round. After 5 in the first round. But there isn't anything like a game 7. When it comes to the world of sports. In particular. Basketball. Hockey. And baseball. And I hate to say it Ranger fans. To me this is going to be. A Carolina victory. Because. Give me a reason that tonight's going to be any different than what we've seen in games 1, 2, and 5 that the outcome will be opposite of what we saw in those previous three games down in Carolina alright, Igor Shosturkin's going to to stand on his head and pitch a shutout could that happen? absolutely could the Rangers play from in front and win this game which would be helpful for them winning this game 7? of course but I think even if they were to take the lead for some reason Carolina has always found a way Think about it. They won a game seven against Boston where they hung on for dear life as they got a goal there late, even though they were up 3-1, but David Pasternak got a goal there with about 30-something seconds to go. And even though as much as it takes for a, a team on the road to get that goal an inch closer, but now they have to do it all over again, but in a shorter amount of time, that's going to be difficult. And I get it. Ante Ranta, nobody's going to confuse him with Archer's Earbay of years past. But when the Hurricanes are used to their home cooking. We already know that they're seven and zero in their building in this postseason. And granted, this is a game that I think the Rangers can win. We didn't see it in the previous round with the Bruins, but if there was ever a time for a road team to win, this would be it. Granted that the experience and the home ice is on the Hurricane side, but remember the Rangers did win Game Seven in the previous round, albeit at home and in overtime. But I do think the Rangers have a shot here. Do I think they're going to win? No. Because if it was going to be chalked the first time around, something tells me deep in my gut it's going to be chalked the second time around. Not to say it's going to be a rocking chair 4-1, 3-1 or 3-0 type of game. I don't think so. I could see this being tooth and nail, scratch and claw. But I think when it's all said and done, the Hurricanes will move on to play the Tampa Bay Lightning in an Eastern Conference Final. And then when we look at that, It's interesting because I almost trust the Rangers to play better against Tampa than Carolina and here's the reason why. Even though Carolina has home ice and as we've seen here in almost the first two rounds of what Carolina has been able to do, that is not going to happen this third round if they do beat the Rangers tonight. And mind you, game one will be Wednesday night so they'll have a 48-hour turnaround That even if they were to, let's say, win game one, based on adrenaline, based on them having the consistency of play, Tampa with Rust sitting out for nine days before their first game, and even if Carolina were to win that game, you know Tampa's going to be geared up to win a game two in their building, and then what's going to happen to Carolina, considering they haven't won a road game yet? That would scare me. And I don't think as it is, even if Carolina were to win, I could see Tampa winning game one, and you could forget it. Because Tampa, if you remember, they beat Carolina last year in the second round. And I understand last year is last year. Can't compare. I get it. But I'm sure, just like the Panthers, they were unable to get Tampa, despite their big regular season, how Tampa was living in their heads rent-free. I think if Tampa gets out of the gate with a victory... Or even if Tampa loses game one, would you be worried that even if they go back to Tampa down 0-2 that they have no shot to win the series? Absolutely not. They can win the next four, if you ask me. But I think the Rangers will pose that much bigger of a threat because of the goaltending, because of their scoring. Obviously, we talked about in the past, Mika Zibanejad, who's had an excellent postseason to date. Chris Kreider... Of course, the young guns, whether it's Capo Kako who needs to raise his game a little bit, Alexis Lafrenier. I think the Rangers have a little bit more balance they're scoring as opposed to Carolina, who, yes, I get it that they have four lines that are going to come at you fast and furious, but they have not been able to distinguish themselves to the point where they can win on the road. The Rangers, we know, can win on the road. They won a game six in Pittsburgh. That's why I think they have a shot to win this game tonight. But I don't think that's going to be the case. And I think the Rangers will fare better in the next round than Carolina will. But we'll have to wait and see how this all shakes down, as you know. I think Carolina's going to win. You're going to have Carolina and Tampa as your Eastern Conference Final. And then to parlay that to the Western Conference Final, where Edmonton, they were able to win a Game 5 on the heels of Conor McDavid in overtime. And that was a crazy game too. You had the controversy with the Blake Coleman goal, which, yes, it deflected off his skate. Did it look like he intentionally pushed it into the net? It did not. They waived the goal. If Calgary would have won that game, they would have had a game six in Edmonton. Obviously, that wasn't the case. McDavid is your hero. He gets the overtime winner. And the Oilers win a hard-fought five-game series if there ever was one. And the Oilers make it to their first conference final since 2006 when they made it to the cup against the aforementioned Carolina Hurricanes. And McDavid, we know the type of postseason he's had. More points to this point than Mario Lemieux going back 30 years. He's definitely on a Consmite Trophy trajectory. And Edmonton, Colorado, with their win on Friday night, they were down 2-1. They got a goal there midway through the Third period by JT Comfer who got the first goal of the game and he actually that was a power play goal I believe with one second left there in the third period and in killer fashion with about 5.9 seconds to go Darren Helm your winner as he was at the top of the faceoff circle and he was able to get it past Billy Huso for the series clinching goal and St. Louis who fought hard and I was hoping for a game seven which would have put a little bit of pressure on Colorado as they haven't made it to the conference final in 20 years, but now they could say they've done so as they'll face off against the Edmonton Oilers tomorrow night in Colorado Game 1. And you have a battle between the two number one overall picks from 2013 and 2015, respectively, in Nathan McKinnon and Connor McDavid. And this is going to be a series that I think could be epic. I could see it going long. I could see it going deep. I could see it being a will- and War of Attrition. I'm going to pick Edmonton because prior to the beginning of the season, I picked them to go to the finals. So I'm going to stick with them in that regard. But I could see this going seven games. Maybe six. I could see Edmonton winning this in six, but for the hell of it, I'm going to say Edmonton in seven because this is their time. You could say it's McKinnon's time because Colorado with all their past playoff failures and not being able to get over the hump and now that they're in this position where they have home ice, and they could get themselves back into a cup final for the first time forever. But Edmonton, I just don't know with McDavid, Dre Seidel, and I know you have Gabriel Landeskog. I mean, you have firepower everywhere with both of these teams. Kale McCarr, what he's going to do against Conor McDavid's going to be huge in the series. That's going to be a matchup that everybody's going to look at. The defenseman of the Avalanche. And I could see this being the better series over whomever makes it out of tonight's Game 7 versus Tampa. I'm fascinated to watch. And it's funny, I have not been so wrapped up into the Stanley Cup playoffs that I have in the past. Of course, being on the podcast, I have to follow, I have to get my fingers on the pulse to make sure that I know what I'm talking about so I can transmit that to you, guys and gals out there listening. But for whatever the reason, this playoff run, I've been fascinated by Pretty much from game one of the opening series to this point, And obviously with a game seven to culminate the second round tonight. All right, I'm going to turn my attention to baseball now on a Memorial Day where when you think about this, people, the Yankees in particular, and don't worry, I'm not going to go down that road just yet. But when you have a Memorial Day schedule, first of all, every team should be playing today. There is no excuse on the three major holidays over the summer that any one of these teams have a day off, and the reason why I say the Yankees, because they're one of them, and it's a disgrace, and most of these games should take place in the afternoon, which to me, when we think about the Mets, they play the Nationals in a three-game set, their game is at 7-10 tonight, that game should be 1-10 in the afternoon, and I get it that the Mets are going to play at night, because they had the Sunday night game against the Phillies, so before everybody says, come on Jay Reels, it's impossible, all right, fine, you want to say that, but We've seen teams play a night game and then a day game right after. So it's not impossible to think that because you have a night game, you can't play the next day, especially on a Memorial Day. So to me, what baseball is doing here with their schedule and how they've fudged it to the point where you're not going to have one of your marquee teams play today, as the Angels will come to town, you'll see Shohei Atani after his performance Yesterday against the Toronto Blue Jays, who, by the way, swept the Angels over the weekend in a four-game set, not even three. But his MVP exploits will come to the Bronx starting tomorrow. But just a disgrace how Major League Baseball does not put all the teams, not just the Yankees, but every team playing today and most of them in the afternoon. And, of course, those three major holidays being today, 4th of July, and Labor Day. So with that aside... And speaking of this day, as I mentioned at the top, of course, for all the servicemen who fought and had passed for this country, for our freedom, for our right to be in this country that commemorates on this day, the manager of the San Francisco Giants, Gabe Kapler, after the horrific events that took place in Texas there last Tuesday, how on Wednesday. When they stood for the National Anthem. And then he realized at that point that he felt that he shouldn't have been standing considering how he feels about the state of this country and with the aftermath of not only what happened in Texas, but also in Buffalo, New York there 10 days prior to where he mentioned that he is not going to stand for the National Anthem except for today. Because today is Memorial Day and for all the fallen soldiers Obviously, it would be an injustice for him to not stand up for the national anthem, but I would be sure that he's going to revert and go back to sitting out the national anthem after today. And of course, that's going to be a chasm for a lot of people in this country to think that here's a man who was raised by his father and was even stated in an interview last week how his father was the one that taught him about standing up for something and standing up for the flag and being proud of the country that you're. Live in, but at the same time, if for whatever reason, there's something that's going to go against that grain or something that you're not going to be in favor of or something that just doesn't sit well, and of course, I'm paraphrasing here to where he feels that he has to take a stand, even if it's going to be unpopular to the public opinion, then so be it, son. You have to do what it takes. And this is what Kaplan's doing. And I have to say, he is 100% absolutely right about this and I get it's not going to be a popular take whether it's from him being a manager or me being just a little podcast host but let's get a grip people as much as you want to look at this as a political thing or as a patriotic thing it's bottom line when I say it's the right thing it's because of what has gone on in this country not only just in Ovalde, Texas not only in Buffalo, New York this is going back Minimum, 23 years, to Columbine, outside of Denver, Colorado, to where all these mass shootings, and to me, that was the one that really sticks out as the, sadly, the first of the long line that you could probably stretch from the shores of Long Island all the way to the Bay Area the list of mass shootings in this country and back and I'm sure you could probably circle the planet with that let alone go coast to coast but for no action to be taken place that we have to endure another one of these mass shootings sadly with all the children that have perished in this senseless act and for Kapler to stand up just like Steve Kerr did last week and not that that was about the national anthem but just standing up to pretty much challenged the politicians at Capitol Hill to do something. And for Kapler in his own way, thoughts, prayers, condolences aren't enough. I'm going to take a stand. So I'm not going to stand for this anthem that just happens to, for the most part, the leaders of this country just look at what had taken place, not only just last week, two weeks before, months, years, decades prior, that this is Okay. And I applaud him for that. And I get it. A lot of people aren't going to like that. They're going to say. It's unpatriotic. Get out of this country if you don't like it. So on and so forth. But please people. Get some common sense. Let's get a grip. Do you want to have this continue. To take place. Not only in schools. Not only in supermarkets. Not only in. Strips. Las Vegas. When you're going to a concert. As I said on Thursday. Thursday. When does it stop? When is change going to take place? And if that gentleman, the guy who leads a baseball team, feels as if I'm sick of where this country is headed and the direction that it's going and it's not taking a stand for its citizens to protect ourselves, whether it's in a school, whether it's in a mall, whether it's in a supermarket, whether it's at a baseball stadium, God forbid, or any venue that holds X amount of people something's got to change and for Kapler he's a thousand percent right and whether you think so or not maybe you need to re-examine your priorities because yes you could talk about they're not going to take my guns or you could talk about oh that's our second amendment that's our right and so on and so forth nobody's saying that they're going to take all your guns away but do you want to continue to see people get mowed down, it seems, by the day here in this country where outside of the US it's non-existent? That you don't hear about this stuff in Australia, Europe, Asia, India? Shall I continue? So if you cannot at least understand where capital is coming from then you really need to First and foremost, reevaluate yourself and Lord knows I'm not the morality police by any stretch and I'm right down the middle. I am not left, I'm not right, I could care less about that. To me, it's all a joke how everything is unfolded with this and I'm just going to talk about this particular issue going back almost 25 years but at the same time, just get a grip. Just think about what's happening. So, if you don't want to see a change, if you don't want to see this get Under control to a certain extent, then I don't know what to say to you. I truly don't. And that's all I'm gonna say about it. Let me get back to baseball. But Kaplan, I want to give him some props. I know he could be my hero of the week, as well as Steve Kerr. So that's my tip. I even mentioned on the podcast the other day. So my hero goes back to Steve Kerr, because I as I started off the podcast last Thursday with that. So that's one thing that I'll save for the end when I get to that subject. But as far as baseball overall. I know the one point of the season that we could look at is Memorial Day, as I've said. We could also look at the All-Star break. And then after that, we could look at Labor Day to kind of really get a good sense of where these teams are going, where they're heading. And as I mentioned in the last couple of podcasts, and I'll say this again, it almost seems like we could pretty much, I'm not going to say predict, but we pretty much know who the pretenders are from the contenders as evidence when we look at these standings here, because the National League, as of right this second, and we all know that this could change in a matter of days or even weeks, but you look at the Mets, you look at the Dodgers, you look at the Padres, you look at the Brewers, that's four teams already, and we're only talking about six teams making the playoffs. So that's already four right off the bat. Then you have other teams that you would think they're going to be a threat, whether they're the Giants, the Cardinals, so that rounds out six right then and there. Are the Braves an exception considering that they're two games on the 500, currently eight back in the loss and eight and a half in the division for the Mets? Because they're the defending champs and based on what they did last year, we will give them the benefit of the doubt. But the Phillies, who just got swept by the Mets over the weekend, and you've got to wonder about Joe Girardi, and I mentioned this even a couple of weeks ago, where his job may be in jeopardy considering their payroll, considering their expectations, and now that they're six games under and three and nine versus the Mets this year, you have to wonder if he's going to be long for this job as we get deeper into the summer. You're not going to look at the Pirates, or stick in the division, you're not going to look at the Marlins and Nationals, you're not going to look at the Pirates, Cubs or Reds, and the Diamondbacks and Rockies, you could pretty much forget. So when we look at these six teams and you want to throw in the Braves as seven right now, granted they're two games on the 500, it looks like your National League could shape up with those six teams that I mentioned. Again, Mets, Brewers, Dodgers, Padres, Giants, Cardinals. And then out in the AL, Yankees, who split four games against the Rays over the weekend and good job by the Rays because the Yankees won the first two and then the Rays were able to get the back two. So good for them, because I thought that that was a litmus test for them, knowing that it's the first time they are playing the Yankees, it was at home, and they easily could have lost three out of four, considering Garrett Cole was the starting pitcher in the game on Saturday, and although he pitched well, but he gave up a run there late, he unfolded, and then the Yankee bullpen gave it up to where they only lost 3-1, but still, and the Rays you would think are going to be a team that obviously will make the postseason when it's all said and done. So you have Yankees, Rays. Twins leading by five games, four in the loss over the White Sox. And you think based on the last couple of years and what the White Sox have done, and even though they're even at 500, you would think that they're going to make it to the postseason. And then you have the Astros and the Angels who have hit the skids here. They've lost five in a row, including the four that I mentioned against the Blue Jays. But they're still five games over, four in the loss, and three and a half back in the division in the AL West. But when we look at Toronto being that, also that team that could be the seventh team, maybe even the sixth team because if we look at the two teams in each the East, Central, and West, that's your six right there. You throw in the Blue Jays, the Red Sox have been surging, they've won nine of 12 and are two games under 500, so we may have to keep an eye for them. Forget about the Guardians, Tigers, and Royals in the Central, and if you ask me, the Rangers, Mariners, and Athletics are going to be out to sea before you know it. Now, when we look at the American League a little bit different from the National League because you have that extra team, maybe two if you want to throw in the Red Sox, but these are the teams you're going to have to look out for right now as your contenders and maybe pretenders if you're looking at it from the standpoint of the Angels, the Red Sox, maybe even, I'm not going to say the White Sox because they have made it to the playoffs the last couple of years. And then the National League you're... Right now you have to say your pretenders are the Braves. Even with all due respect of everything I said before. Phillies. Which they're a sinking ship right now. And other than that. I'm not even going to put the Diamondbacks, Rockies, Pirates, etc. And who knows. Maybe one of these teams could go on a run. And make it interesting. I doubt it's going to be anybody from the National League. But I mentioned the Red Sox. Sadly... This is where we're at when it comes to baseball and the entire landscape, because when we talked about it throughout the offseason, the CBA, etc., there's going to be that big giant separation between the haves and the have-nots. And so far, almost 50 games into this 2022 season, we pretty much see who are the teams that are going to contend, who are the teams that could be a fringe playoff team that you could pretty much, as a right to second, say they're pretenders. And then there's everybody else. And to think there's not a lot of teams that are pretenders out there. It's not as if I got five or six teams that are, have gotten off to great starts that are going to fall by the wayside here before the all-star break. So to even call the Texas Rangers a pretender right now, two games under 500, I can't even call them that. Same for the Red Sox, even though they have a pedigree, but they're still two games under. Phillies are six games under. But because of the payroll expectations and you can't base it all on that I get it but would you be shocked if come the all-star break there within a few games of the second or first wild card in the National League? But as of right to second in the National League it's pretty much detailed not etched in stone but you could pretty much see the trend of who could be in the postseason with still another 110 112 games to play. And in the American League, it's a little bit more wide open, but at the same time, it's not that far off from what we see in the National League. And you know, once the NBA season is complete, as far as once a champion is crowned, and the same for the hockey, and obviously as we get to the end of June into July, that's when we'll even get a better idea as to where these teams will stand. Approaching the All-Star break, first up the 4th of July, and then the mid-season classic as getting a better understanding of where these teams will lie at that time and then lastly the French Open now gets into its second week I know the women's side hasn't been exciting hasn't been thrilling you had Angelique Kerber who I may have thought would have been maybe one of the last ones standing as far as winning the French she loses in straight sets last week as well as Emma Raducanu who was your US Open winner from last year she was out in the second round. You still have Coco Gauff alive. You still have Iga Swiatek alive. And I believe they may be matching up. I'd have to take a look at the, excuse me, the calendar to see where they would fall. Madison Keys, another one who lost over the weekend. So the women's side, not going to be too thrilling. It'd be nice to see Coco Gauff go deep. Maybe even get to a semifinal or a final. And then maybe you could roll the dice to see if she could come out on top. As far as U.S. tennis, they need anything. Because as we've seen throughout the last decade and a half, other than Venus and Serena, of course, you have not had a prominent player on the tennis circuit here from this country that is going to make waves, not only just for the present, but hopefully in the future. And Goff has it right in front of her to take some big strides here with this tournament and try to get her first Grand Slam final appearance and maybe even Grand Slam overall. So that's the one theme I'm looking at on the women's side. It may be a tall order because of Swiatek, like I mentioned, but I'll certainly keep my fingers on the pulse with that. As far as the men's go, this is where you're going to have starting tomorrow. And sadly, it has to come in a quarterfinal, but this could be an enormous week for those who follow the sport where you're going to have Novak Djokovic go up against Rafael Nadal in a quarterfinal tomorrow, I believe 2 p.m. here in New York, which would be, I guess, what is it? 7 or 8 p.m. in France. Who knows, this could be the match that could determine the winner, although the winner of this match will face, in all likelihood, Carlos Alcaraz, the upstart 19-year-old from Spain, which would be interesting because let's just say Nadal, as we all know, this is his surface, this is his quote-unquote home court, winning 13 of these tournaments and to have Alcaraz, the... Guy who looked up to Nadal. Go up against him in a semifinal. Obviously that's going to be. Theater. In its own right. D- despite the fact tomorrow is going to be the utmost between the two. Wiley veterans. The. Pinnacle of the sport over the last decade plus, And they're going to go at it tomorrow. Now Djokovic you know is going to be hungry. Considering he missed the Australian and everything that's happened to him. Pretty much over the last. Four or five months. Nadal chomping at the bit to get not only another French Open victory, but also another Grand Slam in his pocket to extend his lead all time over Djokovic and Roger Federer. So that's something that I'm going to be attuned to and we'll talk about on Thursday's pod. But an interesting week here. I know you had Stefano Tsitsipas. He was playing today. You still have Daniel Medvedev. You still have Alexander Zverev. You still have a lot of the heavyweights there for the men's to... Face off against one another here over the course of the next few days leading into the weekend and crowning your champion there Sunday afternoon or really late Sunday morning, probably into the afternoon because the match will probably start 9 a.m. here in New York. So a lot of tennis to be played and the men's side is going to be intriguing to say the least and you know I'll be all, all on top of that as we get toward the middle of the week, and then obviously recap it all next Monday. And now to close us out here, my hero and zero of the week. You already know who my hero of the week is, dating back to last week, and that was Steve Kerr for everything that he said. If you haven't listened to that podcast, I implore you to do so. It's pretty much right off the start of the podcast where I talk about Steve Kerr and what he said in his press conference last week. But my zero of the week goes to Cincinnati Reds outfielder Tommy Pham for slapping Jock Peterson over a fantasy football dispute. Last week at the start of their series between the Giants and Reds. And I guess Fam had to take offense to what Jock Peterson and kudos to Peterson for admitting that there was a little bit of a, I'm not going to say a war of words, but there was a disconnect between the two. This harkens back to fantasy football last year to where not only was a giant sum of money involved and that irked Tommy Pham, but where Fam was a member of the San Diego Padres last year. And Jock Peterson had some barbs thrown at the some of the Padre players that obviously did not sit well with Tommy Pham. So he brought it up to him in the outfield and therefore slapped him to where he got a three-game suspension. Also was fined on top of that. So with Pham being incensed at how Peterson treated some of his former teammates as well as this big giant pool in reference to the fantasy football dating back to last year and Peterson admitting to that, And obviously did not deserve to get slapped. And fam should have known a little bit better. Should have handled it a lot different. So Tommy, my G, you are my zero of the week. That'll do it. Another episode in the books. And with those who have participated and listening to me, whether this is your first time or you've just listened to me for a few times, I welcome you guys and gals aboard. And for those who have been with me from the very beginning or somewhere around that time, I welcome you, Back. I appreciate your participation in downloading, streaming, listening to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. It means a ton. I do not take it for granted. I really do not. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. Throw me a few stars, write a review. I'd greatly appreciate it. Doing my best to increase the visibility of this podcast as I try to bring on some guests here as we get into the summer, into the long hot summer, which I hope. So if you could do that, I would immensely appreciate that. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, praise, a suggestion, you could do so at any of the following on TikTok, the J Reels Podcast. On Instagram, J Reels or the J Reels Podcast. On Twitter, J Reels 1, just the number. On Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page or the old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Please hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you ASAP. And then, lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to wwwpatreoncom the J Reels podcast. That's P as in Paul, A T as in Tom, R E O N, as in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth, again, from the bottom of my heart, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. I've been talking sports pretty much my whole life, dissecting it, ingesting it, regurgitating it, no matter which way, shape, or form. This is what I love to do. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA. So if you haven't been able to hear that over the last hour, then I guess I got to step my game up even further because when I share my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, praise, everything, and anything that goes on in the world of the ice, diamond, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it, from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, directed, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Enjoy your Memorial Day, and to those who have fallen in years past, and we thank you for your service. Until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.